Welcome to Credit Hour, a weekly thought-provoking conversation with the brightest minds from the University of South Dakota. They get the credit, we ask the questions. This is Credit Hour. On today's episode, we interview Dr. Samuel Hurley, curator of the South Dakota Oral History Center, about its mission preserving unique stories of our state's history for future generations. Sam, how are you doing today? Great. Very glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, you are the curator of the South Dakota Oral History Center here at the University of South Dakota. Um, for you know, members of our audience who might not be aware or familiar with this center, can you just tell us what it is, what its mission is? Sure. Um, I, uh, I'm always happy to promote it. I, I feel like it's a real hidden gem in South Dakota. And um, uh, essentially, we have over 6,500 uh audio recordings of what's called oral history, which is uh, a form of history that's essentially uh, spoken and, and recorded. And um, we have, if, if you can think of a topic that's related to South Dakota, uh, there's a good chance that we have something on it. So it's uh, essentially a collection of the history of the state, people telling their stories, talking about their experiences. Um, our oldest interviews go back to, our oldest recordings go back to the, the early 1950s. So uh, it, it's really a collection of history of the state for the 20th century, but also people that lived uh, back into the 19th century. So it's, uh, it's, a, it's a very unique collection. It's one of the largest collections of its kind in the United States. Now, you said there are about 6,500 recordings. Yeah. Um, I think what I was surprised with when I was kind of doing some of my preliminary research was the number of different collections that you have that yeah. kind of focus on different areas. I don't know if you can kind of maybe explain some of the different collections and what you might find in them. Yeah, sure. Um, all of our collections are they're basically um, we have kind of two arching umbrella collections. Um, there's the American Indian Research Project, which is about 24, 2,500 uh, recordings. Um, it's generally related to Native American history on the, the, the Northern Great Plains, and then also uh, South Dakota Oral History Project, which is uh, oral histories from all corners of the state, literally every county uh, has oral histories in that collection. And then the others are um, a variety of things that are, they kind of fall under those two. So if you're looking for sorting through uh, the, the library catalog, which all these oral histories are searchable through the library catalog, um, all of those other collections kind of fall in the AIRP and the SDOHP. But um, yeah, the others, um, there's some related to um, some different aspects of Native American history. Um, um, there's mission related, there are religion, Christian uh, sources and so forth. And then um, one that's not even listed on there, um, it just kind of goes to show um, kind of those, those quirky things about South Dakota history. We have um, one of our most recent collections is uh, what's called the Frank Day Collection, which is a collection of oral histories actually recorded at Frank Day's bar uh, in in Dallas, South Dakota, outside of Gregory, South Dakota, oh, wow. um, and they were recorded between 1965 and 2001. And, Holy cow! Um, yeah, it's one of those things, and it's just uh, it's an it's about 150 interviews in itself, and they're uh, incredibly well done. They're very interesting. It gives all this uh, rich history about you know everything from bootlegging to small town life to boxing matches in the street of <laughs> South Dakota small town. So. Um, yeah, I, I'm amazed every day, quite literally every day, I'll find something that I'm just amazed at what we have. Well, tell us about maybe some of the most memorable interviews. I know that South Dakota Public Broadcasting recently sure. did a piece with you, and they talked about, 
I mean, just like some historic um, interviews that, I mean, made me want to like jump into the collection and, yeah. and listen to what these people had to say. I don't know if maybe, do you have any personal favorites? Um, yeah, you know, I think I mentioned on the uh, on that interview with, with South Dakota Public Broadcasting, I mentioned the, the Dick Wilson interview. Um, of course, he, uh, a lot of South Dakotans will know, uh, he was the tribal chair of the Oglala Lakota tribe um, out at Pine Ridge uh, uh, during a very volatile time in, in history out there in the early 1970s. He's, to this day, he's a very controversial character in the history of the state. Uh, that, to me, is a singular interview because I, quite frankly, didn't know uh, that it um, even existed. As far as anyone seems to know, it's one of the only in-depth interviews that he ever gave. Um, so that one, to me, is just incredible <laughs> that we have that. Um, there are others you know, related to Wounded Knee, uh, 1890, 1973, um, that, that I talked about um, uh during my interview with South Dakota Public Broadcasting. But um, there are many others there. there um, you know, we have, uh, boy, it's, it's almost like I don't know where to begin. But I mean, we have, I think, literally 200 interviews related to um, the uh, the Rapid City flood uh, that took place in the early 1970s, a very devastating event. Um, we have um, what we're getting into now, and we have, or we're trying to get these out and get them released so that people can make copies of them. Um, we have about 40 uh, African-American uh, oral histories, uh, re most related to the civil rights movement in South Dakota. Um, we have interviews with uh, guys who actually worked in the missile silos in Western oh, wow. South Dakota in the 1960s. Um, so homesteaders, uh, people who were either homesteaders or, or their parents were um, Native American boarding school experiences. So um, yeah, you get me going. I almost don't know where to stop. So you know, I thought an interesting one was um, Gladys Pyle, yeah. who was the first woman senator uh, yeah. from South Dakota. Mm -hmm. um, what was that interview, you know, totally about? I mean, was it about her experience in, in politics, or it seemed that she was talking about kind of her parents' homesteading experience? I thought, yeah, right, because um, her, her dad was involved in, in politics, and I think that's kind of how she kind of grew up, and that's how she got her start. But uh, her, I think she has two interviews with us, or that we have in our collection, and. Um, both of those are great because they, they talk uh, in part about women's suffrage. Of course, you know, this is kind of a landmark centennial time that we're living in right now, uh, you know, 100 years since national women's suffrage and the right to vote. So um, that's one of our popular topics right now. Um, we have about, well, probably 15 or so uh, oral histories with people that lived through that and experienced it and worked with it. And um, Gladys was very involved in the suffrage movement in, in South Dakota. So, You know, why do these... I guess primary sources matter. I mean, yeah. what what is important about these oral histories that you might not be able to find in a different medium? Yeah, um, that, you know, that's a great question. I mean, that's really to me that's really the key because you're you're getting something that you're just not going to find anywhere else. Uh, it's it's just a very rich, raw, very personal take on on history with people who were there. So you're getting a very um, raw, uninterpreted form of history. You're getting it from the people themselves. Um, you're not getting something that's, you know, been rehashed or regurgitated or reinterpreted by someone else, whether they're, you know, have great credentials like some great historian, as great as that might be. When you get, you know, when you're reading a, a secondary source like a, a great history book or a textbook, you're still kind of reading it through a filter from, from someone else's eyes with um, with the oral history, you know, you're really getting it from someone was there. I mean, it's it's about the closest thing. I like to say it's it's like having a time machine or, or being a, a fly on a wall of of a great historical conversation of some kind. Um, you know, that's an, uh, that's great. I mean, I, I think 
one of your interviews that encapsulates that that the most is with um, I think an individual named John Smith. He was a survivor yeah. um, of Pearl Harbor. I don't know if you can talk about that interview yeah. um, a little bit and and, sure. and what that one sort of you know says about that event. Yeah, um, that that's a great interview and uh, um, th- that's a great example of 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 interviews. I mean, one of the biggest things that we we try to do is um, the John Smith interview, a couple of things about it. Of course, it really speaks to to Pearl Harbor. And uh, as I've said before many times, I mean, Pearl Harbor interviews are, are so rare to, to get an interview with someone who was actually there and lived through it and then went on to talk about it and have it recorded. Um, and his, his interview is very raw and graphic. He talks about, I think, manning a, a machine gun or an anti-aircraft gun on the USS California in the middle of this incredible chaos uh, around him. Um, the other thing about it, though, too, is, uh, and I'm happy to talk about this, um, copyright issues are a big thing in oral history across mm-hmm. the country. Um, a lot of interviews uh, were done, I think, maybe kind of with a, a handshake or something like that. And uh, so uh, oral history centers across the country, they have these interviews, but they don't have the copyright to them. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's an issue that we're trying to take care of to this day. We're trying to t- track down the original interviewees or family members to get their explicit written permission on these things. So the John Smith interview was, was interesting because um, it wasn't officially released. We didn't have a release form for it. And uh, about the time of the 75th anniversary of Pearl Harbor came around, um, the Argus leader wanted to know what we had, and we had this uh, interview uh, uh, related to Pearl Harbor. And... Uh, it was interesting because the interview wasn't released, and, and so, I, well, we let them take a look at it. Uh, but with a name like John Smith, it's really hard to find that person or their family, and so to track them down. And so um, a story was done on it, and I want to thank the Argus leader for doing it. Uh, they did a great story um, talking about that interview, and then the family read about it oh, wow. and contacted us, and we're, we're uh, thankfully, they were quite happy to to release it because then it makes it that much more accessible to everyone. Um, well, I don't know if you can talk about that a little bit. Some of the copyright issues. I mean, that's yeah. that's not even an issue that I thought about. But yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, with when you know some of these interviews, like you said, were done 50, 75 years ago. Yeah. Um, it's amazing that they exist. Let alone maybe the legalese that went with them. That's not totally clear. Right. Um, I mean, how much of the collection is kind of embargoed away? Would you say? You know, um, I would say the majority of it. Uh, or at least we're 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 working through that. It, it, you know, they're they're now kind of modern standards that, that you try to adhere to that are you know kind of set forth by you know U.S. copyright law and standards by say the Oral History Association. So we're, we're trying to live up to those, uh, but the things that you come across, um, you know, there are release forms in the Oral History Center, but I think we've, we did a whole kind of survey of this, and we found that there's something like 20 or 25 different release, release forms that were used in the collection, and then most of the collection doesn't have any kind of release form. And so, um, you know, what you want is a release form that says explicitly, you know, what this is doing, what the person is signing, you know, that they're basically signing the rights. Um, that, that allow signing over the rights that allow you know the, the Royal History Center to um, have patrons be able to make copies of these things, and so but you know you never know what you're going to get. I mean we've um, it, it's kind of funny we we have some stories about you know we've managed to contact some family members and they'll say things like, well I, I want this to be released to everyone except my cousin who I don't like. Or, you know, there's maybe a certain ethnic group that, you know, we've come across things that say this, this, this oral history is um, 
only accessible or can make copies people the only people that can make copies of it are say a certain ethnic group or say like you know all Lakotas and then it's like um, you know what exactly does that does that mean does that mean you know people who have a certain blood quantum or are enrolled in the tribe somehow um, so those are all things that we have to take into account essentially so it's it's quite a process well and I don't know if maybe you can just talk about the history of the center um, mm-hmm. I haven't really asked about that yet sure. whose idea was this I mean I, that lot alone I think is maybe worth a oral history right there <laughs> sure yeah it, it's a great story uh, I mean the there were really two two longtime historians at USD uh, Joseph Cash and Herbert Hoover um, who were um, really kind of spearheaded this this whole project and it really started with a, a grant through the Doris Duke Foundation, which is still around today. Of course, Doris Duke is a wealthy tobacco heiress and um, there are you know, very famous aspects of her life. But one of the things that she, that I think is fascinating about her is that she um, had a great interest in, um, in history, including Native American history and culture. And so um, through grants, the idea was to, to use this, these resources to uh, do research and preservation for Native American history and culture. And so that's what really started it was the American Indian Research Project uh, over 50 years ago. And um, so Hoover and Cash and their colleagues, I think a lot of their graduate students, quite frankly, um, took out some of those old reel-to-reel machines and put them in the back seats of their car and drove all over South Dakota. And uh, it, it seems uh, kind of clunky or inconvenient to us, these great big reel-to-reel machines, uh, you know, now in our days of podcasts and iPhones and all that. But it was uh, really convenient at the time. They were portable, and so you could take them out to places and do these these interviews virtually anywhere. And it was so, so successful that then they got uh, funding from the state legislature in 1970 for the South Dakota Oral History Project that was for, um, again, for to conduct oral histories with people of all backgrounds and all ethnicities across the state. You know, how many of these, I guess, recordings have you listened to, would you, if you had to estimate? I mean, every single one, or is it more kind of a continuum? No, um, I would say in their entirety, very few. I mean, probably maybe a couple dozen. Um, as far as mostly it's kind of mostly what I do is you know kind of listen to things to make sure that the audio is clear and kind of have a sense of what's in there and then I can you know just basically enough to get a sense of what the interview is so that I can pass it off to a patron well the reason I ask um, is I'm curious you know you've probably listened to at least snippets of quite a few is there any keys to a good interview I mean that's something that I think about even with this podcast is there something that you've noticed you know are some of the um, interviewers better than others um, can, can you kind of notice a tone of where the direction of the interview will go based on yeah. maybe who was the the um, you know person behind it I, I'm yeah. curious what you would say about that well you know there's certain things I, I think probably most frustrating for me because I come from a 21st century historian's point of view is that you come across so many interviews where I'm thinking dang why didn't they ask this how could they not have <laughs> asked this, you know, things that are, we consider to be so important to, from our point of view today. Of course, historians today kind of, we tend to focus on, you know, matters of things like explicitly, you know, race, class, and gender, um, economics, and so forth. And um, a, a lot of times these interviews maybe weren't recorded by, say, you know, a formally trained historian or something like that. And they're not necessarily, inter- you know, interested in asking those kinds of questions. So um, the kinds of questions that's, that's kind of one thing. I think another thing is just, you know, kind of basic technological issues. Um, and this is kind of a thing that I try to talk about when I talk to students about conducting oral history is, you know, it's really about the person you're interviewing more than anyone else. So I think kind of one of the, the first things is to make sure your technology 
whether it's a reel-to-reel machine or an iPhone or a laptop or some other piece of recording equipment, make sure that it works and make sure that it's set closely to the interviewee, the person you're interviewing. <laughs> There's so many interviews that we have going back to the 1960s or whatever where it's clear the, the recording device is set right next to the person who's asking the question, so you hear the question very loudly, but then the answer comes through in a very kind of muddled or fuzzy. Yeah. Uh, the audio is kind of tough to grasp, and so that can be kind of frustrating. You know, what's the future of this project? I mean, where where do you hope to go with it? Is it digitization? Is it, um, I, I mean, do people still go out and collect interviews? Uh, talk about where kind of it's at its present state. Sure. Um, well, I think it's in a very, very transitional state. You know, I think, um, um, you know, I'd like to mention, you know, I think the dean of libraries, Dan Daly, has done a great job. Uh, you know, he and, and I want to mention my predecessors, Jessica Neal and uh, Jennifer McIntyre, who um, did some tremendous work with the Oral History Center. They were really um, involved in the transition from the location from East Hall um, or excuse me, Dakota Hall to uh, to the library. Uh, so it's now actually physically in the library on the second floor. So that was a big project right there. But then also um, they did they made my job much easier, essentially, by getting most almost all the digitization done. Um, so the the. All, all these sources that were on cassette tapes or, or reel-to-reel tapes are now, um, they've been converted into MP3s and uh, the transcripts have uh, been put into PDF oh, files, wow. which makes it much more accessible to people all over the globe, really. We put a lot of things just in drop boxes and so on, and we have a lot of interested patrons from Europe, scholars from, from overseas that are very interested in the collection. So um, I think really uh, the matter is a preservation. There are storage issues to think about. Um, but then also, um, you know, we, we have a lot of files that we, quite frankly, need to make transcripts of and re-listen to the audio and kind of go over them with a fine-tooth comb. Um, but I think the biggest issue essentially is just accessibility, you know, making it so that whoever, um, that anyone, wherever they are, whoever they are, can access these files and, and use them. So um, we're working quite a bit right now with uh, what's called the, the Digital Library of South Dakota. Um, and I want to thank my fellow archivists at, at USD who, who put up with me because I'm not a classically trained uh, archivist at all, and I'm not uh, I'm not a techie at all. So uh, I'm learning all the time. And but we're we're trying to find ways to, to make these things accessible, put them on uh, this what's essentially a consortium or a collaboration of the different colleges and universities in South Dakota and other archives. Uh, what's called the Digital Library of South Dakota, which is accessible online. And, um, yeah, we're trying to put more and more things right on there so that, um, you know, you'll be able to just, you know, with the click of a button, just get the interview right there. So, and we, we put a few up so far, but we, we'd like to put more and more up. Um, you know, I don't want to, I guess, go back too far in, in, into all the content. I, do you have a singular favorite? I mean, you talked about, um, uh, what was the individual's name? Um, oh, Dick Wilson. Dick Wilson. Yeah. Um, is there one more? I, I'm just curious, like, what you just... I feel like I could pick your brain for hours. I mean, sure. is is there a particular maybe subject matter that people wouldn't necessarily think was interesting, but or, or even knew existed, but through these recordings yeah. we can kind of capture? Um, well, you know, I, I would emphasize, uh, you know, there, there's really almost something for everyone in the collection. Almost whatever you're you're interested in or working on. I mean, we've had students who. Um, whether they're you know working in medicine or history or anthropology, they found things that are that have really helped out um, their projects or you know um, researchers, scholars, and so on. So uh, you know I I think it's really hard for me to pick uh, anyone. I think one that that really uh, is amuses me or is, is close to my heart is uh, there was uh, an interview 
I think his name was uh, Harry Hartman, um, who was an old timer that I think grew up in the, the late 19th century. And the reason why we took a look at his interview was because uh, we had a documentary filmmaker contacted us. Uh, it was making a film on an old outlaw West type character called, uh, it looks like he's something out of Red Dead Redemption too, or something. It was a guy named uh, Doc Middleton, who was a cattle rustler out of Texas. And there, wow, that's the, a, I have to interrupt. That's yeah. like the greatest name ever yeah. for a cattle rustler. Right. And uh, the, he's, uh, he's one of these characters that um, isn't well known to most people, but there are some historians that will tell you that he's as important to the outlaw culture of South Dakota and Nebraska borderlands region as Jesse James was to Missouri. Oh. And so we found an interview uh, uh, with a few people, but one, I think his name was Harry Hartman. I think I'm getting this name correct. And um, he actually met and knew Doc Middleton before Doc passed away in the very early 1900s when Harry would have been a young man. I think Harry lived until the 1970s. And um, it's this wonderful interview that's just very rich in culture, history, even his kind of accent and what it was like to drive a team of wagons at the time and so on. I think what's also kind of amusing is he's kind of, it's almost kind of a stereotype, but he comes across as this real kind of ornery cuss and he gets into an argument (laughs) with the interviewer and there's a thing like, you know, the interviewer asks him, you know, they get into like the Great Depression and Harry talks about how he lost all his money and the interviewer says, well, did you have all your money in a bank? And he says, well, where the hell else do you think I would have had it? And so... He just gets, we kind of laugh at, at, at looking at it. And that's, that's one of the great things about oral history that I didn't mention earlier is, uh, you know, there are just things like that. There's, there's, there's character and emotion and humility and humor. Uh, humor is an important aspect of these things because that's, it's not, oral history is about telling stories. And oftentimes it's, it's a very universal thing. I think people across most cultures, when they tell stories, oftentimes there's an element of humor in there. Um, well, and I think that kind of rounds our way uh, to the end. You know, I, how do people access this collection? I'm curious. I really want to find this Harry Hartman interview. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, how, how would someone go about that? Sure. Uh, well, we're we're very accessible. I'm not very good at you know memorizing um, web page addresses, but um, essentially, if you just you know, if anyone can get to the internet and search uh, Google search or whatever, uh, South Dakota Oral History Center, or even uh, South Dakota University Libraries. Um, the web pages pop up pretty easily. And once you're there, um, there are kind of instructions on our page. You can submit a transcript request directly to me. You can contact me uh, via, via email. Our contact information is available on the, on the web page. And so anyone who wants to, they can just ask me and say, you know, what do you got on such and such topic? And I'd be happy to look into it for people. Or you can browse things yourself. Um, again, uh, over, well over 90% of the collection is uh, searchable. Um, through the university library's online catalog. So you can find things there, and there should be uh, descriptions that'll tell you basically what each interview is about. Um, we also um, create spreadsheets on topics. So if people ask us, you know, um, what do you have on, say, oral histories that talk about the Missouri River? I can just, you know, send you a sheet of things that will tell you in detail what we have and what's available. And, um, you know, and, and we've done quite a bit of that, actually, the Missouri River and life on it, the construction of the dams and so forth. That's another very popular topic. So um, there, so there are a variety of ways to do that. Um, I'm, I'm always pleased to emphasize to our students that it's, it's, as of now, I can't promise in the future how long it will be this way, but uh, as of now, uh, copies of transcripts and, and audio are free to students. So we encourage them to come, to come see us and use those files. Uh, for outside researchers, I think 
it's still quite cheap. I like to think it's something like $4 per transcript and, and $2 per audio file, which is, to me, is quite a bargain when I think of all the time back in my old days of going out to archives and getting copies of things. So, um, so yeah, and typically, you know, there's some paperwork to fill out, uh, but it's a very simple process. And once we have that, you know, usually within a few minutes, I can just email out uh, a link to a Dropbox and people can download uh, the files right to their to their device. So it, we like to think it's a pretty easy and, and quick process at this point. You know, the last question we generally like to ask is a little bit more philosophical, and so I'll let you run with it whatever direction. But sure. I'm pretty curious what you're, you're you might say about it, having listened to I think people throughout a vast swath of South Dakota history. Um, and I think you probably got to know a, a little bit about the identity of South Dakota that maybe some people don't. At this point in your life, what do you know for sure? What do I know for sure? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I would say, um, you know, uh, I would say for sure the diversity of the state is pretty remarkable, and that's reflected in the history. I think that's maybe something that, that um most people today maybe don't think about, but there's an incredible number of uh, cultures and perspectives when it comes to South Dakota and, and the history, whether it's Native American or European or, or African American or some blending or combination of others. So, um, and I, but I think, you know, within all of that, that diversity, there's a universality in, in terms of interest in, in history and who we are as a state, as a collective people. And, um, as I think I mentioned before, storytelling is kind of a universal thing across all cultures. And so um, I think that's something that I'm safe to say at this point that we, we tend to have a common interest in, in history and story and, and how that gets told. Sam, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Michael. It's a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Credit Hour, a weekly thought-provoking conversation with the brightest minds from the University of South Dakota. Listening is 100% of the grades. We hope you enjoyed the episode.